Hello, welcome to A Carol or Cause, a podcast uh, from uh, four students that go to Lancaster Bible College. Uh, we are in a class called Christian Culture right now, reading a book called Joy for the World by Greg Forster. If you guys could give your names so that our audience knows who we are. I'm Elizabeth. I'm Carson. And, and, I'm, and I'm Melissa. <laughs> and I'm Tim. Um, the purpose of this podcast is to share information from the life-altering book, Joy of the World, written by Greg Forster. This book focuses on the question of, can the church region regain its cultural influence? This book teaches us that the key to cultural transformation is something that we might not expect, explosive spirit-produced joy in God and his gospel. This episode, we named Joy of God. All right, and the author of this book, Greg Forster, is, uh, his background is that he is currently serving as the director of the Oikonomia Network at the Center for Transformational Churches, and he's a visiting assistant professor of faith and culture at Trinity Graduate School. He has a PhD with distinction in political philosophy from Yale University, and he's the author of seven books and the co-editor of four books. He's a senior fellow at EdChoice, has published numerous articles in scholarly and popular periodicals, speaks at large conferences like the Gospel Coalition and Jubilee, edits the group blog Hang Together, and contributes regularly to other online outlets. His primary scholarly interest is education, is studying how the structures of culture and civilization, family work, education, business, politics, etc., respond to the challenge of the gospel and the ambiguous tensions of religious freedom in order to equip the church to be good citizens of both the kingdom of God and our human communities. In Joy to the World, How Christianity Lost Its Cultural Influence and Can Begin to Rebuild It, Foster seeks and answers three questions. How is it that Christianity has so dramatically lost its impact on American civilization, and how can it begin to begin the process of rebuilding that impact? Should we even try, or is the cultural impact more dangerous than it is desirable? Foster's overarching thesis in response to these questions is simple. The centerpiece of my answers is the joy of God. If Christianity is going to have a distinct impact, it needs to rely on what truly makes it distinct, the work of the Spirit on our minds, hearts, and lives. That what makes Christians unique, and it gives us a unique opportunity to bless our unbelieving neighbors through the way we participate in the civilization we share with them. Part one, let men their songs employ, focuses on the American society is. First, we are going to ask the American piece. How did America get where it is now and where is it going? Second, we're going to ask what the society piece. What is society and how are we as human beings related to it? All right, so to, in, so to delve into what we've been learning, um, we're gonna go over our three main takeaways as a group from this first section. Uh, and the first section um, is his analysis of America and American society. And it's full of way more than we could get into. So we're just going to focus on these main three, the first one of which is the joy of God, uh, which Forster defines as the state of flourishing in mind, heart, and life that Christians experience by the Holy Spirit. Uh, in the reading, I found a following sentence where Forster likens this joy of God to the fruit of the Spirit to line up nicely with the impressions I was gaining of this joy of God. It seems to me that the joy of God is his image in us leaking through in small ways in everyday life before it's unstoppered and fed by the flame of the Holy Spirit to reach its full potential. 
All the things Forster listed that grow with this joy, mind, heart, and life, are all either areas created in God's image or places for it to shine through. We can experience this joy of God prior to salvation, as Forster did, because sin does not delete God's image from us, but it does dampen it. This is why the joy of God is seen so clearly in believers. The Holy Spirit frees it and strengthens it until it bleeds through in everything we are, in the fruits we produce and in the way we live. The joy of God heavily influences our ministries and evangelism. If it is in abundance, Christianity explodes, as it is in the global south. But if it is weak or missing altogether, Christianity stagnates, as seen in Europe and America. In essence, uh, this joy of God is far more than happy feelings, as it displays the character of God to all around us. I think I would have to disagree with what you just had to say, Lissa. Um, just because I think that Christianity today uh, is pretty stagnant in how with hundreds of movements around the country, there are hundreds and maybe a larger number that are coming to know Jesus each day. By saying that Americans are too comfortable in their freedom and privilege, are you saying that they are not growing, going out into the nations, using their resources, etc.? Or what do you mean here? Um, I think you explained the joy of God super well. Uh, that is so true that the joy of God is way more than a happy feeling we get. And it is the joy that we get from having a personal relationship with him, from reading his word daily and prayerfully following him. Alyssa, I, I'm not trying to downplay or ignore the efforts of American Christians. I completely agree that there are revivals happening alongside other evangelistic efforts throughout the country. I mean, I just had an amazing experience uh, working at a summer at a winter retreat this past weekend. Um, where a ton of students came to know Christ or they rededicated their lives to him. Um, and I'm also not saying we're not doing our part because we clearly are. Um, but comfort and privilege does not cancel out the work we do. And we cannot deny that we live far more comfortably and easily than our brothers and sisters in the global south. We should be doing even more with the relative wealth God has provided us. I may be biased um, and a bit disillusioned with the American church, um, but I admit that stagnant may be a strong descriptor. I cannot admit that I see much more action that the, than the aforementioned small revivals. If we look to the early church and that in the current global south, then compare it to our churches, we are falling far short of where we should be. More and more denominations are caving to societal pressure. The layman Christian contents themselves with Sunday morning services, and we are seeing more conformity than ever before. Even notable Christian brands like Chick-fil-A are breaking and yielding to society's demands in, in, uh, in the topics of like LGBTQ rights. Uh, if, we're not if we were not comfortable, we would be standing firm in our beliefs, as our brothers and sisters do, and face death for it every day. There are no threats of imprisonment, torture, or death for us, only societal ostracism at worst. We are barely scratching the surface of all that God has provided us with, and if we ventured to become uncomfortable, I'm certain the results would be outstanding. I hope this clarified my thoughts for you a bit. Yeah, thank you for the clarification. Uh, I think I've come to consider more of like how we have taken so much for granted here in America and how we have so many resources here that we don't use. And um, we have so many resources to share the gospel here. And I think when we get out into like different countries, uh, we experience things like sharing the gospel to different people and different nations that we can do right here in Lancaster. So thank you for that. So after going off of that first point that so perfectly um, Alyssa and Elizabeth spoke about, um, we're going to move on to our second takeaway. And the second takeaway is actually the relationship between um, Israel um, and their exile to Babylon and then the New Testament exile without Christ. And um, as we figured out in our, in our discussion post, that actually brought up a couple 
um, conversations and kind of conflicting thoughts in our group, um, mainly between Elizabeth and myself. Um, Elizabeth and the rest of us, I mean. But um, uh, that's perfectly fine because the way we learn is actually understanding one another's viewpoints more and then being able to work off of that. Um, so I'm first going to go off of what I believe and what I got out of the reading. And I'm actually going to start with the question that um, our professor gave to us to read off of. And the question that he was asking is, um, summarize how the presence of the church in the world is and is not similar to Israelites' captivity in Babylon. How is the church supposed to live in exile in addition to Forrester's consideration to the first episode that we we're watching? So pretty much what I got out of that question is that we're supposed to read um, this second chapter of Forrester's book and then kind of go off of what we think is right, go off of uh, the exile of Israel and then the exile that we're in, the New, New Testament exile. So I'm first going to go off and read all out of page um, 66, and I'm first going to mention on how, just so we can get a better, better understanding of Israelite and of the Israelites and kind of how they are coming about. So here on page 66, Forster mentions that the, the Israelite people um, had a distinct so, so, civil, civilization. Um, they had detailed instruction on how to live in that civilization and how that was supposed to be stru structured. The Israelites did not have to worry about whether their society was influencing their religious institutions all the structures of their civilization, I have a horrible stuttering problem, <laughs> were directly ordained by God. So that's how it was. So pretty much Israelites, like Israel as a country, they had everything very simple for them. It was all laid out to where um, there was no really conflict on how they were believing. It was very, like one way, there was a universal religion. Um, but then the exile happened, and that obviously changed things. Um, when then when Israel actually goes out to Babylon, and now they're under this rule, like how are they supposed to worship when they don't have a temple to worship to? And they felt lost, lost in a sense, and it makes complete sense. And out of reading from the book of Daniel and just kind of seeing from that exile, and then reading Jeremiah and seeing on how um, the Israelites were going to be. Um, affected from that, you really could see that without the temple and w without like the say the say so like place to worship, they were really going to have a problem. Because not only was their whole place to worship in that temple and in Jerusalem and in in Israel, the Holy Land, but their their identity was in that as well. And that's a big theme to think about coming up to this. So that's a little bit of, a little bit of the background of that. So let's think about how the New Testament Christians are like that today. So once Christ comes back and then we have the Great Commission to spread the word of God and whatnot, um, we are very much so like an exile, and I think that we are just the same as that. We just don't have the say-so temple. Because in our life of Christ, we're, we're always working towards, like working towards Christ. We're always working towards the day we'll see him, whether that's the day we die or the day of him returning. And we're doing our best to prepare the world to better Christ, in a sense, and kind of work back the, the problems of sin. And just as uh, the exile of Babylon, 
They are working towards the day of going back to Israel. We are working towards the day to see Christ and to see the new heavens and new earth. So that's kind of my thoughts. To summarize what I just said, I think that we are very similar to, the, to Israel in their exile. And not only that, I feel like we are working towards the same thing, except for we have Christ and we have the Holy Spirit in us. We don't need an actual temple. So now Elizabeth has a little bit um, to say off of what I just said. Yeah, uh, so I kind of struggled with this whole concept of the church being in exile because I'm, I don't see where the church was exiled from. Uh, we never had a country in the same manner that the Israelites did. We didn't have a temple. Um, we have Christ. Uh, and I can see now, going off of what Carson has said, uh, how that could be viewed as an exile from Christ. But I'm... It's something I'm still wrestling with and something I'm going to do a lot more thinking over. Because uh, I feel like it's a, it's a fascinating concept and one that deserves a lot more study than a w- one week and one chapter in a book. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the purpose of us reading this book and the purpose of us college-age students even reading in general is just to get a pretty um, surface-level understanding of certain topics. And that's why I'm very thankful for this, for this class and thankful for the real like really needing to be intentional about this book because we're able to have these discussions and make these podcasts, but not only be able to understand one another better, but be able to further our learning. Absolutely. And um, same as we disagree with things or same as I'm learning from you and you'll learn from us. um, That's just how learning works. So yeah, thank you for that. Awesome. Thank you, Carson and Elizabeth for that discussion on the church in exile. Um, So now I'm going to start going into our third takeaway from this first section of um, the book, and that is the different embodiments of Christianity. So the two types of Christianity's embodiment in civilization are organizational or institutional and organic or an informal embodiment. Uh, The first type, organizational, would be the formal church service, which typically happens every Sunday. Also, any other formal gatherings which the Christian community is meeting for the purpose of spiritual growth is considered institutional embodiment. Another example of this uh, form of Christianity would be a young adult uh, worship group meeting um, together. uh, The second type of embodiment is informal or organic embodiment, which is the day-to-day lives of Christians and community outside of the formal church gatherings. Uh, another example of this would be a group of believers going out um, just bowling on a Friday night. Uh, that would be considered organic because it's not necessarily planned or focused around any particular um, aspect of uh, Christianity specifically, but it's just a group of uh, believers uh, meeting and having a good time together. Um, this is a time of fellowship and encouragement, um, just outside in their day-to-day lives. The two different forms are also so important because we need the formal community gatherings of believers, but we also need these um, times where we leave the confines of church service and enter the day-to-day activities with uh, our fellow believers to encourage uh, each other just in our daily lives and walk with God. Yeah, great thoughts, Tim. Um, I would like to just read a little part of the book that I thought was super interesting about an example that Forrester gives about organic Christianity. Uh, He says that he is currently employed by two different organizations, 
uh, that his full-time employer and a consulting job on the side that are not officially committed as in- institutions to Christianity. Yet in both organizations, some of my coworkers are Christians. We don't take off our Christian hats and put on our secular hats when we're at work. We talk about things like how doing our jobs is part of our faith. That's what organic Christianity is. Uh, I thought this was just interesting uh, because organic Christianity is just living out our day-to-day lives and uh, just sharing our faith, our faith with others and just being present. Um, uh, so often we feel like we have to go out of our way to serve others and show, God, show God's love. Um, but it can be as simple as sharing a kind word to others, um, even getting coffee with someone or just making a new connection with somebody. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, thank you for that explanation and just reminding us that our day-to-day Christian lives, um, we should be the same, both uh, whether it's organic or institutional, um, that we should be living just daily for Christ and the encouragement of others. Thank you. All right, so what do these takeaways mean for us? I mean, they're kind of broad topics to say the least. So what do we as the average everyday Christian do with them? Um, So the joy of God, um, we need to let that influence our lives every day uh, in the same manner that we are always um, having the fruits of the spirit and bearing fruit for Christ uh, on our minds. We need to have this joy of God because it will uh, lead to the, the bearing of fruit, to us growing in Christ and becoming who he wants us to be. And it will change not only our attitudes, but our everyday lives, because we will be influenced wholly and completely by it. Um, going off to the second point, uh, Elizabeth and I kind of went back and forth a little bit, but um, I'm actually going to read from uh, the book and kind of to summarize what Forrester is saying. Uh, for the exile and the way that the way the Christians are supposed to be acting. So here on page 68, uh, Forrester says, Exile is our predominant state in the New Testament church because we have not because we have now been commissioned sent sent on a mission to the nations. Uh, Jeremiah sent the Israelites out to a long period of exile in Babylon, but they were always looking forward to a promised return. Jesus sent the church out to uh, per, out to permanent exile everywhere. So that pretty much sums up with what I was saying on how the Israelites were always on a uh, temporary exile. It was always mentioned all throughout the Bible that they're going to be kind of separated from the Holy Land, same as Moses was not allowed to en- enter the Holy Land um, when that whole thing went down. Um, the same happened to them when they went to Babylon, and the same is happening to us, except for we have no like time stamp we have no clue how long it's going to be so far it's been around 2,000 years we'll see how many more years it goes um, I hope it happens during our time I also would like to live life but uh, we'll see what happens um, Christ a lot a lot we don't know about Christ and all we can do is have faith and move forward from there so yeah that's my kind of application from the second point awesome thanks Carson uh, and now going to the third takeaway that we uh, discussed, me and Alyssa did. Um, so just the difference between organizational and organic Christianity and just the importance of understanding that there is a distinction between the two, but um, the roles that we play in both are um, vitally important. So like in our Christian lives and our, um, our Christian lives, 
should go beyond just our Sunday church services and um, organizational groups and stuff like that, but also into our day-to-day lives as we interact with everyone around us. To conclude this week's episode of A Carol or a Cause, um, just a reminder, we are reviewing the book The Joy of the World from Greg Forrester. And um, we're a group of college students just coming to you, really just trying to inform you about this book. And we'd love for you to join us along in this process of us really just understanding what Greg Forster is saying. And just to give you a little tease for next week. Uh, next week, part two is coming, and it's going to be Let Earth Receive Her King. So uh, get, get ready, get excited, and we will be, be looking forward for our next episode. Thank you.